Welcome to the Wisdom for Life podcast. This is Pastor Glenn here, and today's message is entitled, Help, I'm Married. Hey, if you wouldn't, this morning, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Last part of our message in the series, Help, I'm Married. Today we're going to be talking about how to stay in the ring, in the ring, uh uh without killing each other. Yeah, good fun today, good fun today. Uh Uh-huh. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. You know the verses. It says, love is what? Patient. Love is kind, does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. Always perseveres. just want to ask you rhetorically this morning, if love is patient, if love is patient, how would you know unless your patience was tested? In other words, you've got to have a moment with an impatient spouse to know if you love them or not. Right? Look at this. You find out with a rude spouse if you're kind or not. And you find out with a spouse that boasts whether or not you've got pride. And with a selfish spouse, you know love because you realize that you're not selfish. You don't know, though, without the contest, without the fight, without the friction. And we're going to talk a whole lot about friction this morning. Can you say friction? We're going to get into that this morning. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, help us to understand this morning that confrontation is a good thing. God, call us to a holy fight, to not fight in but for our marriages. Help us to learn to confront each other assertively, in love, without sin. Help us to realize that, God, if we don't speak up, If we don't tell our mate what's going on and we're offended and we become bitter, that's our fault, God. It's our responsibility to confront, Lord. Help us to get that revelation this morning. In Jesus' name, and everybody said what? Amen. I just got to ask you this morning, I need a show of hands. If you met your spouse in the late 60s or early 70s, if that's you, just lift up your hand. Late 60s, oh, a bunch of you. Oh, we're going to have some fun with you. Yes, we're going to have some fun with you. Late 60s, early 70s. I want to take you back a little bit this morning to maybe that time when you met your spouse for the first time. Maybe the feelings that you had when you met your spouse for the first time. A little mood music here for you as I take you back. I've heard people say that too much of anything. You remember how you dressed. But Come on, guys, you got on your... Your very best shirt. As many times we've loved and we've shared love. Yeah, baby. You were dangerous. You were smoking hot, baby. And your hair, well, you actually had some hair, didn't you? Yeah. Well, I can't get that button, but you had, you had some hair. Do you remember what it was like to walk into that place and see that woman from across the room 
the heat of the moment melted your face off. Man, you walked up to her and you said, baby, I've got a few lines for you. And maybe you used a couple of these lines. I don't know, but maybe it went something like this. Hey, mama, I just want to let you know I brought with me my library card because I've been checking you out. You remember some of those lines? You know what it's all about. You walked up to her and you said, baby, you must live next to an airport because my heart just keeps taking off. You remember what you said to her? You were so sly. You were so cool. You said, baby, this morning, you must have had some cereal that was good. I know what it was. I know exactly what that cereal was, baby. Yeah. Yeah, that, that cereal is so good. What was that cereal anyway? I can't remember. Oh, yeah, that cereal, baby, was Lucky Charms. It was Lucky, it was Lucky Charms, baby. And I can tell you had it because your body is magically delicious. It was so good. Maybe you knew she was a... I busted my... Maybe you knew she was a Christian and you just walked up to her and you were sly about it. You say, honey, all night long last night, I was reading in the book of Numbers, but I still haven't got yours. Yeah, come on. Let's give all the guys from the 60s and 70s a hand clap. Come on. And then you got married and woke up. You absolutely woke up and you realize somebody left up the toilet seat. Somebody didn't do the dishes. Somebody keeps leaving the cap off the toothpaste. You realize that somebody didn't take out the garbage. You got a screaming kid with a dirty diaper. You didn't get any sleep. And all of that, all of that cool stuff went out the door. You woke up and everything was different. Things were different. Remember when you thought it was all about love at first sight? This morning, I want to talk to you about love at first fight. There is a huge, there's, there's a, there's a huge reality check between the two. Love at first fight. That's when you feel something different. It's not what you felt at first sight. It wasn't all the hair and the fancy clothes and the fancy talk. It was something completely different. You began to exercise your love instead of just feeling it. You began to see that it was Easy to fall in love at first. Takes about 10 seconds, maybe just a heartbeat. But staying in love is a fight. And that's what I want to talk to you this morning. I want to talk to you about staying in love. What it takes to stay in love. You know, in the world, they see love as a noun. But real love is a verb. It's a lot of work. It takes a lot of action. There are things that you're going to have to do and you're going to have to engage each other, literally. And sometimes that's a fight. You're going to have to overcome your, your natural tendencies to be selfish, to be an individual. And you're going to have to realize that that in and of itself is a fight. Watch this. 1 Corinthians verse 7, verse 28. Watch this. Chapter 7, 28. Very cool verse. It says, but those who marry will face many troubles. If you got married, you know it's true. You don't want to say, man, you just do it under your breath. You know it's true. Marriage means trouble. It means a fight. Every once in a while, I come across a couple that says, you know, Pastor Glenn, it's so nice to meet you. I just want to... And I'm, I'm going to play the woman part here if you couldn't figure that out already. 
Pastor Glenn, it's so nice to meet you. I just uh, I just want to tell you a little bit about myself and my spouse. You know, we never fight. Ever meet somebody like that? Now, now, when I hear that kind of thing, I, I nod my head. And I go, oh, wow, isn't that cool? That's just neat. Oh, that's just wonderful. But on the inside, I'm not nodding. I'm going, you are a weirdo. What do you mean you never fight? What kind of aliens are you? Did a UFO land and just give, drop you guys on the planet? Hmm. Who is the slave? Who's the robot? What do you mean you never have an argument? That's not real. People, that's not real. And we think, oh, we just, uh, we just totally get along. We get along in everything we do. Yeah, because she's always right. Think about it. The guys are finally amening. Think about it. You got one male, one female from totally different homes, totally different upbringings, each with their own emotional uniqueness, each with their own baggage of the past, each with their own likes and dislikes. To some degree, there's some independence there. To some degree, there's self-centeredness. You bring them together. You put them in the same house. You give them the same tasks, the same responsibilities. You have them operate from the same budget. And they're going to agree on everything. No honking way. Is that going to happen? It's not real. I want to tell you this morning, God did not put you on this planet with your mate to be a robot or a slave. Passive behavior is what I'm going to knock down this morning. The idea that you can just shut down inside emotionally. The idea that it's more Christ-like to say nothing. That it's more Christ-like not to confront. To just shut down emotionally. To give up. To throw in the towel. I want to tell you this morning. God put a heart inside of you. He put it, He put a spirit inside of you. You need to speak. You need to talk about what bothers you to your mate. And that's what I'm going to teach you here this morning. If you argue with your spouse, I want to tell you that that's a good thing. And you're surprised. But that's a good thing. Pastors get really concerned when, when married couples stop arguing. When there hasn't been an argument in a long time. That's when I get really concerned. When the arguing, the arguing stops. It sounds counterintuitive. But it gets really bad when somebody taps out, no longer cares enough to wrestle through the differences. In other words, we're not going to address the real issues directly. We're just going to put them away. The fact is this morning, I want to teach you that fighting could be a form of passion. It means that you still find the person that you're, inter- that you're engaged with interesting enough to spar with. Come on. But this, this morning, I want to make a very, very bold statement. Listen very carefully. As your pastor, I want you to fight. But I want you to fight for, not in, your marriage. The problem is, is we live in, a, we live in an age already culturally where people are, are throwing in the towel. I mean, it's just like, you know, it's like a Burger King world. You can't have it your way on anything. And then what happens is, is if you can't get it the way you want it, we have these disposable relationships where we just walk away because, because things aren't fun anymore. Things aren't... Listen, I want to tell you this morning, God didn't give you marriage 
to make you happy. He gave you marriage to make you holy. And there's a holy friction. Boom! Between the two of you that rubs off your flesh, that strips you of your pride, that strips you of your individuality, that brings you into real covenant. So many people spend so much time on the, on the wedding, but very little time preparing for the marriage. There is a huge wake-up call coming for the body of Christ. We've got to wake up. Our marriages are not disposable. Stay in the fight. Fight for your marriage instead of just in it. And to do that, you're going to have to learn assertive behavior. And I want to teach you what that is this morning. Say assertive behavior. It's a paradigm that is not lose-win. It's win-win. But it's still a fight. Assertive behavior has to be learned. You're not born with it. It's very hard at first to be assertive. But the payoffs are huge. Assertive behavior takes a lot of work. Communication, love, honesty, self-control. But it's far easier to just be passive and shut down your heart, to check out, to throw in the towel, to tap out. God doesn't want you to do that. To stay in the ring, you're going to have to learn to confront. Say confront. Say it again, confront. Turn to your spouse and say confront. We all want that spark, don't we? Why are you laughing when I ask you to? Who likes the spark in the marriage, in the relationship? Let's talk about sparks, where the sparks come from. Real sparks are a result of friction. Well, baby, I just want that hotness we had when we first met. Real sparks come from friction. Real heat comes from friction. Confrontation is a, is a direct result of closeness. And there's heat and there's sparks. Proverbs chapter 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens what? Iron. So one person sharpens another. Without confrontation, someone in the relationship is going to go dull. Someone in the relationship is going to turn off spiritually. Confrontation is all part of it. It's simply part of it. Think of our relationship and our covenant relationship with God. And think about a guy in the Old Testament that wrestled with Christ for a blessing. Wrestling is all part of the relationship. Now, there are different forms of wrestling, and that's none of my business, and I don't care how you do it. Just do it. As Christians, we have demonized confrontation. But it's one of the healthiest things that you can ever do. Matthew chapter 18, verse 23. Jesus is speaking here about confrontation. He says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. What is Jesus doing here? He's saying, I'm placing a higher priority, a higher priority on confrontation than I am on worship. Did you get that? Right here, right here. Hi. Did you get that? Jesus is saying it's more important that you leave your offering right here. Go home and reconcile with your spouse. Go home and get that thing worked out. Then come and offer up your offering. You, Jesus is saying that you just can't come to an altar and pray away your issues relationally. He's saying you're going to have to, you're going to have to leave your offering here. Go and work it out. You're going to have to do the natural. Then come back and God can do the supernatural at the altar. 
So many times I'm praying for somebody at the altar and they're saying, please, I need to get along with my spouse. I have an issue with him. I just got to forgive him. Well, go forgive him. I can't do that here at an altar. Yes, you can, Pastor. You don't want me to come to your house. We can't do that there. You've got to do that there. You've got to figure that out. And then come back and you realize that the benefits of worship that you've been missing are now apparent and real. How many people leave a church when their relationship goes on the rocks? All the time. Have you gone to church for long? That happens. How many people, you see them, they'll go, they'll go farther and farther and farther back from worship because they're not getting along with their spouse. Come on. Jesus is saying, get that worked out first and you'll see everything else fall into line. It's an assertive principle this morning that I want to teach you. And you might want to write this down. Here it is. We teach people how to treat us. Some of these things are very revelatory and I want to make sure. Here, fake it till you make it with me, would you? You could just go like that and just be faking it and that'll make me feel great, okay? We teach people how to treat us. You're teaching your spouse how to treat you. Hello? Being passive invites offense. You're responsible for what you allow. If you don't confront at some point, you have no right to be offended. My back popped a little. People that are constantly offended and never say anything about it, it's their fault. It's their fault. You're responsible for that. Staying offended is your problem. If you've not assertively confronted the person, it's your problem. Jesus said it. You've got to go. Matthew 18 says, if you got out with your brother, go to him privately. Deal with it. Stop expecting your spouse to be a mind reader. Or guess what bothers you? Come on. And then we stay quietly offended. I'm just going to, you're just going to have to figure out what's wrong. You made me so mad. But you come figure it out. And if you don't know, hmm, I'm just going to get madder. We lie to our spouses when we don't confront. That's a lie. You're not telling the truth. Silence. Your silence is agreement. You're telling your spouse it's okay. You're, 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 you're lining up with that activity. And if it's wrong and it's hurting you and you don't say anything about it, your silence is agreement. That's one of those eye popper moments. Hello. Hi. Anybody, anybody, anybody. Do I have one? Silence is what? Silence is what? Ushers, please stand at the doors. Silence is what? Silence is agreement. And you're thinking, how can I agree with you, Pastor, if I keep talking? That's a way, Homer. Confrontation isn't easy, but avoiding it leads to bitterness and resentment. And the first example I want to give you of somebody avoiding confrontation is the gunny sacker. That's somebody that's keeping the grievances and stuffing them away in this imaginary gunny sack, which grows heavier and heavier and heavier over time. I'm not going to say anything about it. I'm just going to put it away. I'm just going to put it in here. I'm just going to put it in here. Put it in here. 
And after a while, that puppy just gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And the anger starts to build and build and build. And this passive approach brings you to the point to where this hurt becomes so heavy that it's time to dump. And dump you do, baby. You get your spouse at the most opportune moment for you, and you take that gunny sack and you just dump it right over the top of their head. Here's five months worth of crud all at once. And then as they're sitting in it and they're covered in it, you just step away and you go, feel better. That is unbiblical. It's unbiblical. Hurt is heavy. There's a price to being passive. Sooner or later, that weight stuffed away, that pain, that resentment is going to come out and hurt someone. Hurting people hurt people. Your hurt, if not dealt with, sooner or later is going to hurt someone else. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 seconds, uh, 26 says this. In your anger, Paul says, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. Okay, so Paul is saying here, in your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down upon your anger. Does that mean fight all night? It means you need to work it out. Whatever happened that day, you need to work out that day. Whatever happened that day, you work out that day, right? You don't wake up the next day with the same issue. Here's why. Because God's mercies are new every morning. If you want a piece of that mercy, you've got to give mercy. If you're not given mercy the next morning, you don't get His mercy. Now, who, who's, who's leading the charge now? The devil, not you. I know, I know. If you stuff it away, you can use it somehow. No, you can't. It's not doing you any good. It's just nothing but wait. If you're not dealing with it in that day, then you don't get God's new mercy. You are the one that's paying the price for the gunny sack. God doesn't want you to have it. So what is anger? How do we know anger is sin? Well, it's not sin right away yet. But anger past a day is. Because anger past a day becomes bitterness. And you start getting a grudge. And you start gunny sack. And I'm ready to dump. Are there, are there any dumpers in here this morning? Any gun, No, you're not going to confess to that. I'm, not a, I'm perfect. Whenever I'm bothered by something, I just very politely come and say, that bothers me. Yeah, right. You need to repent of the gunny sacking. Surrender your gunny sack to the Lord. You got to let go of it. It's not doing you any good. I want to tell you very quickly. It will script, script, script your life. In other words, it will hand you a script and you will begin saying and doing and living a part that is not you. And over time, you'll begin to become someone that is not you. And over time, you'll become an actor in a never-ending tragedy called your life. And it'll be a broken record. And anytime you see somebody, it's going to contaminate every relationship you have in your life. You're going to walk up to people. You're going to say, hi, my name is. And you're going to go right into what people have done to you. And people are going to go, let's not do lunch. Are you hearing this? It will script your life. You got to get, you got to let go of it. Let go of the gunny sack. Confront and love. Keep short accounts. Don't be angry past a day. When you have an issue, go immediately to your spouse and move on. Now, gunny sacking can start in your spouse because they have not been heard or maybe they've, maybe they've had an issue for several days and you just haven't listened to them. So ladies, here's how your gut, your husband will gunny sack. He'll go into the cave. He'll go into that wonderful cave. You know that, that emotional disconnect. You feel it. The cave. 
When a man goes into that cave, he does not want to talk for a while. Please do not go running into that cave after him. As a woman, you might think, I talk a lot. He wants to talk too. That's the best way to work this out. Let's go talk. I'm going to go in and talk. Hi, honey. Let's talk. He is in the cave. What are in caves? Bears, lions, things that... A female, on average, 15,000 words a day. A male, on average, three to 5,000 words a day. You out-talk him three to one. When he goes into a cave and cools off, you got to understand, when, when men are angry and upset, they act. They don't talk. He's going into the cave to cool off so he doesn't act. Don't go in there and try to talk him into acting. Let him chill. Eventually, he'll start to cool off. He'll catch his cool because every guy wants to look like the Fonz all the time. He'll come out. He'll start to catch his breath. He'll be a little bit cooler. Then begin to ask him questions very slowly. And then listen, okay, for the responses. Let's talk about when women gunny sack. <laughs> when a man goes silent, it's not necessarily a bad thing. When a woman goes silent, guys, especially young married guys, don't be an idiot. When things cool off and you think they're cool because your wife has gone silent, um, things aren't cool. Someone is about to die. Good advice. When a woman is talking, even if she's chewing you out, there's hope. When she's not talking, someone's going to die. Yeah. Now, you can get into a fight in an argument with a woman, and here's the bottom line. you got a storm. And imagine a hurricane, if you will. You've got the brunt of that storm, and it's blowing this way. <sighs> Then all of a sudden there's a moment, and for the young married men, they see this moment and they just they get weirded out by it. They think it's something and it's not. It's the eye of the storm. Everything goes peace for just a moment. Everything's quiet. And the young married man goes, my, 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 I have won. You have not won. You are in the eye of the storm. The storm is now coming at you, but watch this. You're on the other side of the eye. It's blowing the other direction. You thought she was unpredictable before the fight. She is definitely unpredictable now, and you are going to lose. Guys, get her talking. Get her talking about it. It's okay. Ask her questions, and then just let her go. Just let her talk about it. Let her tell you what's going on. She'll say a lot of things you're not going to want to hear. That's okay. Just let her go ahead and do it. The gunny sack then gets dumped out and we don't carry it around, right? And people don't get hurt. Let's talk about another type of behavior here, the volcano. Talked about the gunny sack a little bit. That's avoiding conflict only to dump it later. Let's talk about the volcano. It's reacting to conflict by escalating it with aggression. It's coming. It's it's feeling that conflict and just blowing and spewing and throwing heat and fire and brimstone everywhere, Okay. I want to tell you before we begin in this idea here, you have a choice. You always have a choice. You always have a choice to either react or proact. You do not have to fight fire with fire. You don't have to be that person. If you can keep your cool, cooler heads prevail. And I'm going to teach you a little bit about that. If you use anger 
to fight with someone and try to regain control. I want, I want to teach you here this morning that we are physically not designed to be in control when we're angry. We lose more and more control when we're mad. The best thing you can do is cool off before you say or do anything. That's very, very important. Why is that? Well, the part of the brain that operates in anger is very, very interesting. That part of the brain that controls emotions is the dumbest part of your brain. It's called the medulla oblongata. It doesn't process. It doesn't problem solve. It doesn't reason. It just attaches reality to emotion. It's so dumb, it thinks what's happening on the inside is what's happening on the outside. If you don't believe me, just go back to the last movie you watched. You're sitting in front of a screen now, perhaps at home. You're watching this movie. You're seeing this story played out. And now suddenly you're mad, sad, happy, laughing, angry. Why? That's an actor. That's a person pretending. It's just lights on a screen. Why are all these, why are you feeling all these things and beginning to think that you're part of the movie or the show? It's the medulla oblongata. It's playing tricks on you. It is the dumbest part of your brain. It attaches feeling to reality. It says what I'm feeling is real even when it's not. Okay? It will literally believe anything you feel. Under the right conditions, that part of your brain that controls emotions believes everything that it's told. So an angry person could be very intelligent at first. But as that anger comes over them, they go super dumb in a matter of seconds. God wants you to use your head. God wants you to think. He wants you to process. He wants you to work out your disagreements. You can't do it from the medulla oblongata. The more angry you become, the less control you have. And the more your mind and your life is susceptible to control and suggestion. If you're the kind of person that allows people to press your buttons, you need to understand something. You're not big and tough and free. You're under control. And there are people smart enough to know you got buttons. And they'll just press them every time they see you. And then they'll step back, and as you're going, they'll go, (laughs) Medulla Abdengata. If you catch your spouse operating from the volcano, the medulla oblongata, you need to help them cool down a little bit before they erupt on you. Guys, you need to help her cool down to get her mind back. And what, here's what that means. Guys, we love to fix things. We want to fix things. Guys, this is not time to fix. Well, honey, I know what your problem is. Uh, uh, you can stop talking now. I got it all figured out. You see, it's, the pastor said it's your medulla. Don't bring me into it. Don't bring me anywhere near it. I don't have anything to do with it. Yeah, you see, it's all a part of your uh, medulla slumblingata or something like that. But it's, it's basically that, honey. It means you're wrong. After she's done killing you, she's coming to kill me. We don't need to fix it, guys. We need to connect with how she's feeling. Leave that fix-it thing way to the end. Way to the end. When she begins to open up, that's not the time to fix it either. It's the time to listen more. You see, women begin to solve issues in their life by allowing themselves to just talk it out. And as they're talking it out with you, you develop rapport with her, and it's a counseling thing. 
But you don't want to tell people in counseling what the problem is. You want them to discover it on their own. And they can, with God's help. You're married to a believer. God, the Holy Spirit has shown. And you just sit there and love and you connect with that feeling. Hello. Amen. Is that good? Come on, guys. I got a little acronym for the guys. You might want to write this down. Maybe not. Here we go. If you're taking notes, uh, lift her. Here's the L. Listen. God gave you two ears, one mouth. Good. Identify with the pain. That's I. F. Hey, guys, here's a novel concept. Face her when she's talking to you. And, and make eye contact. And then touch. Now, guys, right away you're thinking, yeah, I know. I got touchdown. After you've listened to her and identified with her and faced her and spent time with her, it's not the kind of touch you're, you know, you're thinking grope and that sort of, no, guys. It's the kind of touch that, that makes her feel secure. Did you know a woman needs seven hugs a day? At this point, this kind of touch gives something, there's a hormone that's stimulated in her body. Watch this, it's called oxytocin. Not oxycontin, that's something different. Oxytocin. This is what hugging and meaningful touch will do, is she'll begin to recover. It begins to release inside of her. She begins to overcome those feelings. She begins to feel secure. And this is a benefit to both of us, guys. We win too because, see, oxytocin combined with estrogen means makeup chupa. That is the best kind. Ladies, you can help him calm down by helping him just get his mind back. I'm going to tell you how to do that. This means stop talking. Don't nag him. Don't criticize him. Speak words of affirmation. Every man wants his wife to believe in him. Now, that sounds like a simple thing, especially you young ladies who haven't been married very long. And that's because you haven't heard some of the incredibly stupid things your husband is about to say. You're, you're going to hear some dumb things, and women have it. They just have a, a, a sixth sense or a fifth sense. They just want to go, oh, that was so dumb. Let me tell you why. And a woman has really no idea what kind of damage that can do to a man. We need you to speak into our lives. But it needs to be a few words at a time as we're calming down. Not going, you know, honey, I can tell you exactly what's wrong. <laughs> You're dumb. And ladies, very quickly, as I begin to close, remember the three S's for the volcano and your husband, okay? Supper, shoe tying, and sleep. Let me tell you how the three S's work, ladies, if you don't know already. Let him eat and let him sleep. That resupplies his testosterone. Now, inside your bodies, you have some two ladies. Testosterone stresses you out. Inside of a man's body, it does not stress him out. Inside of a man's body, Barry White is coming on, and he's now suddenly interested in you in a brand new way. He doesn't want to fight with you anymore. Now, watch what happens. As soon as testosterone is released in a man's body, he gets sleepy. Now watch the closed loop here that you can have in a man's life. He gets sleepy. He wakes up from sleeping. What does a man do as soon as he wakes up? I do this every single day. Even after naps, he goes to the fridge and he eats. 
He eats, he gets a little more testosterone because he slept and he ate, and then he wants to be with you again. And then when he's done with you, he sleeps. And then, no volcano. Supper, shoe tying, sleep. You're laughing because you know it's true. When you finally calm each other down, just a quick acronym here for you. I invented this. I hope it works. Slaps. S. Soft answer turns away wrath. Be soft. Now things are cool and calm. It's not the time to escalate it again. L. Look for agreement opportunities. Is there somewhere you agree? Hey, you know what? 89, 90% of what you're saying is probably the same thing. Instead of trying to get into semantics, just agree. Say, yeah, you know, we agree. We agree more than we realize, you know. A, alone, never do it in public. Never have that kind of conversation around the kids or around you know, company. Nothing is worse, okay? P, don't postpone it. Do it right away. Remember, same day if you could, okay, if it's the right time. Um, point, stick to the point. Don't have lots and lots of things that you've built. If you've built up days worth of stuff, that's your own fault. Stick to the issue at hand, okay? And and the last one here is sorry. The most powerful word you can use in a relationship is, is sorry. It's sorry. Hey, you know what? I, I'm going to own it. I, I did blow it there. That that was that was my fault. I own that. I, no. Let's see if I got time. I do. Ladies, in a fight, your husband may say things that are hurtful. We don't want that. That's not scriptural. But let me help you understand something. He'll say sorry for this later, and you won't take the sorry because you'll go something like this. Well, I finally find out how you feel about things. Um, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Didn't know you thought that way, but I know now. Ladies, when men go to war, they fight to win. When I play, when I play ball with another guy, I'm looking for weaknesses and I'm looking to exploit weaknesses. That doesn't mean I hate that guy. It doesn't mean that, you know, later when we're not playing a ball game that, you know, I'm still looking to exploit weaknesses. Many times women want to take that opportunity in the fight and go, see, you don't love me at all. No, they're just trying to win for once. And here's the deal. You're not going to let them with that line. We know. Guys, let me flip it around. Not only do our wives need to understand that we might say things that we don't really mean. We say sorry for them. They need to forgive us. Guys, I'll flip it around. As your wife forgives you, it takes a lot longer for her to forgive than you. And you're going, thanks, Sherlock. That is amazing. Pastor, you are awesome. Here's why. Remember last Sunday? She connects events with emotion. She has to go through and solve each of those emotions in her heart. And you've got to give her time to do it. Because you love her. Because you love her. And so you don't go back and go, wow, you should just get over it. Forgive me. And guys are famous for like, in five seconds, I said I was sorry, now drop it. They're going to drop it right on your feet, man. It's going to hurt. Closing thought here. Why in the world did God invent marriage? What 
in the world was he thinking? It is painful. It is work. It's hard. There's confrontation. There's disagreements. We need to learn to be disagree without becoming disagreeable, but many times we don't. So why the marriage? Well, he brings two fools together who have flesh, who were fanatical about themselves, who are full of flaws, foolish, flawed, fanatical, flesh, people coming together. Why? You ever ask yourself that? About seven years into the marriage, why? (laughs) The purpose of marriage is not to make you happy. The purpose of marriage is to make you holy. It's to make you holy. It's to deal with your flaws and your fanatical self-interest. It's to deal with your foolishness and your flesh. That's what marriage does the word covenant, and all of you did it at an altar if you're married. You went into covenant. The Hebrew word for covenant means to cut away. It means to strip. It means to bleed. Your pastor that married you should have told you that. It's a holy thing, and it's not always happiness. We need to start saying and be holy ever after. That's the truth. Now, the only way that we can get a real concept of how all of that works is by making mashed potatoes. I love mashed potatoes. When my wife goes to make meat, I always ask, are there going to be taters? I want mashed potatoes with everything but cereal. I, maybe guys, maybe you're like me. Taters with meat. That's what I want. But everybody, every guy, every guy that starts out in a relationship wants to move right to the gravy and the butter. You don't get the gravy and the butter in your marriage right away. When you make mashed potatoes, the first thing you've got to do is take two spuds that are ugly and nasty, full of flaws, covered in blemishes, and you've got to strip. You've got to slice that skin off, that flesh. Oh, is that fun. That's the first few years of marriage. Just getting sliced and getting that flesh stripped away. And then after that, oh, it even gets better. Then you get your life laid on a table and there's the cutting. And there's pride and there's arrogance and there's issues that start to get cut away. And if we're not done with the cutting and the stripping, oh, oh, then it gets fun right at around year seven or eight right? Then it's the boiling. Then you get boiled. You get stripped. You get cut. You get boiled. This is about the time you want to quit. You want to throw in the towel. By the way, most marriages end at seven years when the boiling starts because people have said to themselves, I'm no longer happy. Let me out. I got stripped. I got cut. I don't want to boil. It's too hot. I want to be happy again. They go right out into another marriage. And we know that statistically marriage two and three fail as well. Why? Because God wants to make you holy, not just happy. So you get boiled and then you think you're done when the boiling's done. Oh, oh, now you got kids and they need braces. 
They need to go to college. They've got all these needs. And what happens now with your kids? Oh, it's wonderful. You get mashed. And you get whipped. But at the end, you're one. Two two taters with blemishes and flaws got stripped, got cut, got boiled, got mashed and whipped, and now they're one. And I want to tell you, there are gravy years. I'm just starting to experience the gravy in my marriage. I like gravy. The kids are starting to move. They're getting, they're going to move out soon. Gravy. Bills are starting to get paid off. There's money in the bank. I could go on trips. Gravy. You got to make it to that. And it's not just gravy. There's also butter. Because you start figuring each other out and you know what? God, man, that makes her mad. Don't do that anymore. Do you really want to start that process all over again? Are you insane? I've, I've, I've literally heard people say, well, I wonder what it would be like to date again. You are out of your mind. You've been stripped, cut, boiled, mashed, whipped. Gravy and butter. Think of that relationship that God's been working on in your life for years. There's value there. There's value there. There's something there. And God wants you to celebrate it this morning. I'm going to ask for my pastors to come on up and their wives. It's probably just Pastor Josh here with Gina. He's going to help me pray. I want to pray for you to become mashed potatoes this morning. You and your spouse, every every marriage that's willing. We're going to start right here and we're going to pray for you and we're going to go this side and that side and we're going to ask that God makes you mashed potatoes. We're going to ask that God brings on the gravy. We're going to ask that God brings on the butter. Can you say amen? Would you stand with me please? Come on. Come on. Get excited. Get excited. Get excited. Get ex- Come on. Get excited. It's time. It's time. Give God a hand clap. Come on. It's time. Wake up church. It's time. This is your time. This is your time right now. Right now. Hey, if you like a little more gravy or butter in your marriage, come on down right now. We're here to pray for you. Come right now in the name of Jesus. Come right now in Jesus. Get up here right now in Jesus' name. Worship team, come on, play. It's your time. It's your time. Right now in Jesus' name. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. Everyone needs compassion. Love that's never failing.
sing with me.